Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. I'm your host, David, coming at you live from Copenhagen, Denmark. And like I promised on Twitter, this is the chess crossover of a century as we have the the heavyweight of chess podcasting himself, Ben Johnson, here in the virtual studio today. Uh, ben Johnson is the host of the Perpetual Chess Podcast which I have plugged many, many times on this podcast. It is the main inspiration for my podcast. I'm delighted to have you on the show. Welcome to 64 Land. How's it going? Good, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for all the shout outs. You know, I do. <clears throat> I've listened to a bunch of your interviews and um, as a podcast and chess aficionado, I'm always happy to have um, new podcasts to listen to. And yeah, you're, you're doing a great job um, uh, in, in chess podcasting as in life. We're uh, we're trying to uh, we're trying to grow the chess podosphere, as one of my guests has put. I think it was uh, it was Jen Shahadi who said that. Shout out Jennifer Shahadi. Um, but we are trying to grow the chess podosphere. The chess podosphere has really blown up in 2021. There are a lot more coming on the market. Of course, you know we have Levy Rosman coming out with his uh, podcast on YouTube that he's been doing. Another Brooklyn Jewish man with a podcast <laughs> like me. Um, no, it's all all in good fun. Actually, I don't think Levy's from Brooklyn. Maybe. Uh, I don't, I don't remember. Well, shout out Levy anyway. And, uh, the Dr. Skull podcast, uh, and then I see some other people are trying to do them. So it's pretty cool. I yeah. Know, what, yeah. What do you think about this? Um, this whole growth, you know, you kind of were a trailblazer cause I, I, I read your bio and, and probably in 2016, the, the chess potosphere was completely different from, from what it is today. So what, what, how, how has that been for you is like the, 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 the kind of the patriarch of the chess potosphere. Yeah, I mean, it was almost a barren wasteland in 2016. I do always have to uh, pay tribute to my forefathers, the Full English Breakfast, Macaulay Peterson and Lawrence Trent. But that was kind of the only thing out there at the time. And yeah, now it's I feel like it's about time. I mean, because the thing about chess, I, I heard your interview with Jen. Shout out to Jen from me as well. Um, and, you know, she raised a good point and or might have even been another interview where she pointed out that the reason there aren't that many chess podcasts, is, of course, it's such a visual medium. But the thing about chess is the people who love it cannot get enough of it. So whether it's by podcast or YouTube or whatever it may be, people who are like in the trenches, deep in the weeds, loving chess, going through one of those phases, like they want chess content 24 seven. So that's what makes their room for plenty of con plenty of chess podcasts. And honestly, I feel like it's um this, this recent, um, you know, influx of uh, new offerings is is a bit overdue. So I'm happy to see it. Yeah, and and like I said, I can't I can't continue to uh, to to pay tribute to to what you've done. I mean, this this podcast was a huge inspiration for me. I'd been podcasting basically since the start of the pandemic, and kind of at a at a certain point, I said, well, why don't I just try the chess podcast thing? I once I saw the landscape, I listened to some of your episodes. Actually, I listened to your episode with uh, Hikaru many years ago. I, and I just had realized this a couple of days ago, I think this was like 2017 or 2018. One of the very early episodes I had found like, um, back in high school, when I had like a brief like couple month interest in podcasts. And uh, so yeah, I mean, I just I just want to want to thank you like while I have you on the on the call, like, I, it's, it's been uh, it's been really good. And, and, I, and I hope we can continue to, to grow the, the potosphere. Sure. Yeah. And it's amazing how young you are. That's one thing that comes to mind. And also, I heard you mention in an interview, David, that you did, um, you briefly did an NBA podcast. So I forgot to tell you that a precondition for this interview is like, the last five minutes of the show, I might need to rant about Ben Simmons. But, <laughs> but, uh, 
but we'll save it till then okay yeah no we can we could talk about ben simmons i'm, I'm happy to, to later though because yeah. we're gonna otherwise we're gonna lose all our listeners yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll save course. it for the end of course yeah no, no, for sure um well, I guess let's get right into the show. I, I kind of want to start by talking about some. Well, so first of all, uh, as my listeners know, I haven't been been keeping up with. Uh, I've not been keeping up with uh, with the posting schedule as well as I should be. So I'm really trying to get this one out as soon as possible. So probably by the time you listen to it, you'll be listening to this on a weekend if you're listening on the day of release. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, this champion chess final, um, because you know we've had this uh, basically for a year these online rapid blitz Armageddon tournaments, uh, mostly rapid, but then you know, tie breaks and whatnot. Um, some of the best players in the world. A lot of surprise guests coming on too. some legends and all that. Uh, and it's all culminated to this. So, I mean, uh, have you been following much the, uh, the online chess scene this year? Yeah. I, so I'm, I follow some of the online chess. I have to admit, um, I'm, I'm bigger into the IRL chess and like obviously super psyched for the world championship and uh, really enjoyed Norway chess. Um, so I kind of keep track of what's happening. Like I know Magnus, as we record, is winning the tournament. And I know he had like a lead anyway due to the format. So um, I, I know that, but I haven't had a chance to watch a ton of the broadcasts or even play through as many of the games um, as I would like. So, um, yeah, I just, just sort of a broad idea what's going on in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, and I can tell you I've, except for like, well, there's a tournament going on right now. There's one of the rounds and I'm not following cause we're obviously recording this, but I've, I've watched every day of the broadcasts. I've been very plugged into the, the Twitter drama surrounding the quick draws and, um, Nakamura playing two tournaments at the same time. I don't know if you're familiar about all this kind of stuff. But, yeah. Uh, that I caught wind of. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I have a, you know, <laughs> I have a reasonably friendly relationship with Hikaru. We don't correspond often, but, um, you know, obviously I'm a huge fan of, of his chess and uh, the, the brand that he's built has been uh, amazing to see. But yeah, I mean, it, it seems like poor judgment, I would say. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it just seems like, you know, he's he's crushing it in like all aspects of chess slash business. And it just seems like you're kind of... Uh, courting um discontent among the hardcore chess fans by doing something like that and i'm not sure what the uh countervailing like benefit is like is it the 800 dollars that he gets for title tuesday like it's it's pocket change in comparison so um i mean maybe he just loves loves the game so much but then why are you taking the draws so quickly so yeah it's um it's it's a big um it's surprising choice i guess you could say I think the the quick well he's I think there's with regards to the quick draws I think there's someone who is really much more guilty which is Timur Rajabov who I think really has except for one round I think all of his games were were quick draws. Um, however, I will. I, I I think that there's way too much uh, drama that was invited by that decision. I I think like you said practically it was stupid. Although he did get nine games of blitz prep against Wesley So in the middle of the tournament. Um, <laughs> And um, I don't know. I I, th I thought it was a bizarre decision. You know, the fact that Peter Leko on the Chess 24 broadcast, um, who was actually, I think, Hikaru's second in the candidates, kind of said that he was, you know, Team Magnus on, for their match, I thought was especially telling. I, I think I agree with you in terms of the, in terms of the judgment. Um, although I think the... the he was Nepo's second. I'm not sure. He was Nepo's second in the candidates. Uh, in Leko 2016? Was. 
Oh, oh, okay. The 2016. Yeah, yeah sorry. sorry. I didn't specify that maybe, but yeah, in, in 2016, he, uh, at least according to Hikaru, he said that he, that Peter Leko worked with him and, and talked about his love for professional wrestling. And now as, as I tweeted, I, I need to get Peter Leko on this podcast to talk, uh, to hear about uh, like 20 minute rants on wrestling. Like th- that would just make my year probably. <laughs> um, the, the quick draw thing. I know. I think, I think there's been some really quite frankly, unprofessional discourse about that just because uh i think every player in the tour has as i followed the tour pretty closely hikaru and timor have been guilty of this by far but i think everybody's done it at some point wesley has done it a ton and um it works it's a strategy that works because of the format um the quick draws get you because they all these tournaments have had elimination rounds and stuff like that and on average, one half, a stable one half is, is going gonna, is gonna to be enough usually to get you to the knockout. So it's just, uh, I, I think it's more of a consequence. Obviously, the Berlin draw and, you know, the Queen's Gambit decline, like draw lines are, are prevalent even on OTB chess. But, like, I think the, the format for this whole year has been absurd. It's been way too much chess, way too many rounds. And um, I, it hasn't been that fun to watch like last year. I think last year maybe it was just because we had no chess at all and so to watch these online tournaments like with all the best players like with uh, while this chess boom was happening i think was exciting but i think there's just been way too much if, if it were me next year for this tour i would cut everything down big time i wouldn't even do these elimination rounds because it's just it, it, it just invites these draws and then you criticize the players for something that in my opinion is a consequence of the format and it, it just is a terrible look i don't know i mean you know this is this stuff is market driven so i mean i know that like uh, I, as I said, I have a bit of fatigue with the events as well, but you know, they're not, the companies putting on these events are doing it because there's an audience for it. So it could be actually that even though we're like the hardest core chess fans, that maybe we're not the main audience, you know? Um, so I think like market forces will react to both of these things, like the draw thing. I'm sure the people like, obviously it's been a bit of a brouhaha. So the people running the tournament are more aware than anyone that like, this is not a good look. So whatever needs to be done to change the language in the contract or change the format, I'm, I'm confident that, that they'll do that going forward. In the meantime, obviously, it's a bit frustrating um, as a chess fan. And in, in terms of uh, the event itself, um, you know, like I said, if, if, if there's too much, people will stop watching and the, the market will correct. And as, if there's not, then we're just not representative um of the broader populace so you know time will tell but they're not in the business of like uh giving away money so i mean we'll see do you think we could actually see something like uh like like a blanket ban on the berlin (laughs) no i mean it's not it's not the berlin's you know i mean it does get a bit boring but that's you know shooting the messenger i'm not a big berlin fan but you know or maybe that line in the berlin because i i mean they're they're i i Someone, I think someone, I think it was Mr. Dodgy actually himself who said that there is a one OTB tournament that banned that. But I mean, where does it end? Because there are there are dozens of, of GM draw lines. I mean, you could even just play, you know, the Bond Cloud draw, and that's the easiest draw in chess, or a Knight F6, you know, sort of thing. Knight F3, Knight F6, Knight G1, Knight G8, sort of, you know, you could do any of those kinds of repetitions. So I don't really see where, unless you ban threefold repetitions, maybe, which would be wild. But I don't really yeah. see how you can actually stop the this thing. Yeah, all you can do is change the incentives. You know, people are very responsive to incentives. So even if they have to score it differently, I know that uh, rankles some chess purists. But um, 
but there are ways to alter the incentives um, to make people uh, want to play longer games. Um, and the other thing is just the people who are not playing fighting chess don't have to play, you know, like, right. uh, um, and that's, you know, that's another sort of market force that doesn't, it doesn't take place immediately, but over time people will notice like, wait a minute, you know, I, if I start to draw like this, like I might not get another invite. Mm -hmm. And people have, have been saying that too. I mean, on Twitter, a lot of people saying stop inviting Timor and Hikaru and, and bring on like Zubov and people like that. Uh, so, I mean, it's interesting. I, I do agree. I think with regard to the, the market thing, um, it's just something we'll have to wait out for the next tour. <laughs> I mean, on, on that note of market incentives, actually, I think that's a great segue into, uh, um, speaking of just marketing in general, because, uh, FIDE announced this, uh, the sponsor, uh, for women's chess. I kind of wanted uh, to touch on it briefly. Um, sure. You should probably provide some context right. for any lucky folks who didn't hear this story. So basically, um, FIDE announced. Uh, a couple of days ago, I think September 30th, um, with this, we're recording this October 1st, uh, they decided that 2022 would be the year of women in chess. And uh, to rein in this announcement, um, they decided to go with a sponsorship deal from a breast implant company. Uh, now, I don't want to get too much into the, 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 the politics of feminism and stuff like that, because I just don't think that's my place at all, to be honest. And I'm sure you would agree. Um, however, uh, I think the, the company, there's a Lee Chess article that was written a couple of days ago, and um, it basically outlines that it's a, it's, a, it's a terrible company, quite frankly, and that FIDE's argument um, that, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, like post-breast cancer reconstructions, um, that's not actually what most people get go to this uh, company for. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess to ask you a little bit about this, like, what is this? Is this more of an indictment of, on FIDE, bad judgment, uh, poor management? Uh, like, like I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine someone who's like more plugged into the chess world aside from maybe an actual FIDE executive in terms of the conversations you've had. So I'm just I'm kind of curious, like, what's your take on this whole uh, hubbub? Yeah, well, I haven't had a lot of conversations about it. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm a Twitter addict, so pretty up on the sort of online debate to the extent there's been one. First of all, just want to give a shout out to Lee Chess, because you probably saw they did like an amazing um, sort of um, background article where they reached out to a lot of uh, woman titled players and got their perspective. And I think that's way more important than like two dudes opining on this. Um, yeah, yeah and, I agree. And they, they provided great context about Lord, like sort of the, the history of uh, gender relations in FIDE. Um, and as you said, sort of parsing FIDE's uh, defense, which was that it's, you know, for uh, cancer recoverers. But as the article said, it's only that's only about 25 percent of uses. Um, but I mean, I will just briefly say that my my broader take is that like seems like kind of a self-inflicted wound by FIDE. Like if I were in their situation, chess, of course, has an unfortunate history of sexism, as does a lot of the world. You know, chess is not alone in that regard. Um, but in I would be thinking about erring on the side of caution if I were them. I would think like, you know, this is, you know, not ideal, you know, and then you have your meeting about it. And I would probably think, you know what, you know, given our history, it's it's better. Um, we'll leave this for another, you know, another ancient board game <laughs> to uh, to have as their sponsor. 
Um, but they didn't seem to take that tact and, you know, they're, they seem a bit defensive about it online. Um, and yeah, it just, um, it, it, well, it didn't surprise me, but, um, if I were, you know, somehow involved with FIDE, did my mic go up? Sorry. Yeah, it's a little bit. Okay. If I were somehow involved with FIDE, um, I probably wouldn't do it. Um, but I, I think it's more important to let women weigh in. And I know that like in the Leeches article and as Jen Shahadi did online, there's uh, varying opinions, but it seems like um, as Jen tweeted, or it might've been Cleomina, um, someone tweeted the fact that so many women uh, felt like they had to speak off the record also um, is, is indicative of a, a bit of a problem. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's all that needs to be said. And, and, I, and I agree with, with Ben, um, the Leeches article is very well written. And, you know, Leeches, I think also for an open source website, um, they, they're just always on the money with these kinds of things. Like uh, even the, from the, the news about events in general, so like I remember they had this big takedown of of uh, chess base about uh would they they the plagiarism that they didn't have to do because it's not really related to them in any way they don't control stockfish but they, they I just think that they're always kind of at the the forefront of these social issues in a way that a lot of like the corporate chess world can't be so yeah I would recommend reading that and on that note uh I do want to transition uh to some podcaster to podcaster talk. This is something I've been I've been waiting for for a very long time, um, and I'm glad that we're gonna be we're talking about this a little bit. So uh, you know everyone knows that I'm a I'm a podcaster, um, and so are you. You've been doing this a lot longer than me, um, so I do have a couple of questions just about uh, kind of I know you talked about how it was getting started that there weren't a lot of chess podcasts. But, you know, when you started your podcast, what was it like? Did you get an immediate response? Were you like looking to market this to anybody? Like, how are you actually plugging this podcast? Because the entire digital world, the entire interest in chess was completely different than what it is today. I mean, I've been able to rack up like almost 500 followers on Twitter in a matter of months purely by just finding the right people. But I can't imagine that it was anywhere in the same state as it is today. Yeah, it was like, as, as I said earlier, yeah, there wasn't that much there. Um, when I started, I believe it was November of 2016. I remember feeling scared, like I'm, I'm an introvert, as a lot of chess players seem to be. So um, in that regard, sort of uh, putting something out there was a bit daunting to me. But I was such a podcast fan and such a chess fan that I just, it just reached a point where I just felt like, well, someone really should be doing this. And my career wasn't like going amazing at the moment, to be honest. Like, I mean, I was enjoying, I was getting back into teaching scholastic chess, but I was kind of like restarting after some time in, in different fields and was looking for like another sort of uh, outlet, um, you know, was teaching at a, a lot of scholastic programs where you kind of parachute in and don't feel like you have like, um, a support network. And I had like little kids at home, you know, so sleepless nights and all that stuff. So it was really just sort of like looking for a professional lifeline. And it was received pretty well, pretty quickly. Um, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, I was lucky enough that part of the reason I was able to, to launch the show is obviously I've um, old school friends with the Shahadis. I've known them, you know, they're some of my earliest friends, like not even just friends full stop, not even related to chess. Um, and I've known Jan Gustafsson a long time and Mike Klein and I were roommates in Brooklyn decades ago. Wow. So um, 
So I knew enough people in the chess world where I felt like, well, I can kind of uh, coerce them into being interviewed <laughs> and see where <laughs> things go. Um, and that was basically what happened. And, you know, because there wasn't much out there and because some of my early guests had decent followings, I wasn't like financially, I was not very rewarding for like years, really. But I at least felt like, okay, people are listening and I'm providing a service. Um, and, you know, it's just grown slow, slowly and steadily over the years. Well, so, I mean, you do um, perpetual chess full-time now. Uh, I think you've had, uh, from what I've read on your website, you've had like tens of millions of streams in total uh, across all the episodes. Uh, at what point, though, did you kind of realize that you were kind of a name in the chess world? Uh, maybe right now. <laughs> um, no, I'm, and I think it's only, I don't know, I can't keep track of like how to phrase it. But the anyway, asterisk attached to the tens of millions of streams. I mean, uh, I, I don't mind saying it's it's around 10,000 downloads per episode. Um, and, you know, obviously, like someone like Hikaru might be double that, but generally, it's going to be around 10,000 downloads per episode. And there's been however many episodes. Um, so in terms of being a name in the chess world, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, the first rule of journalism. Now, I don't technically consider myself a journalist, but it's like, don't be the story. So I generally in the um, in the interviews, try to stay out of the way as best I can. I try to be as prepared as possible, but I'm, I'm not trying to sort of uh, interject my personality, especially when I interview these, you know, like I just interviewed Maxime and Bashir Lagrav, like someone like episode, that. By the um, way, that was a fantastic episode. I, I, I yeah, I was really impressed with him i have to say so couldn't couldn't have been nicer and just so honest um so yeah that that was a real thrill but i have i have no delusions that anyone's like tuning in to listen to me so um so i don't i don't know if to the extent i don't really know if i'm like a, a chess personality or not no but I, I think that's why people i mean it's it's kind of like those old school uh like uh interviewers and like the you, you know I, I mean i i remember like tuning into barbara walters interviews and stuff like that or like on 60 minutes it, it really is something like that where, where that's that's what people come to listen to they like you know they, they want to listen to to good questions like you said you come very prepared for your for your episodes and you have a lot of different kind of shows too that i, I kind of want to touch on a little bit because the empire has been expanding in the last year you know, with with the how to chess podcast which i also listen to sometimes um so i think that's really cool um, who I also, you know, we, we mentioned Maxime Vacher-Lagrave, who he's, he's probably as of now, personally, um, someone I, I probably want on the podcast more than anything. I've been a big fan of his. Um, so it was cool to see that, uh, that he goes on podcasts. Maybe I'll be fortunate in a couple of months or years. Um, but you know, you've done probably, I think something like 300 episodes or something, uh, of just your main podcast. I know you're working on another one. You have the chess improvers, but, um, what has been your favorite interview? Huh, I was I was afraid you were going to ask me that question. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, I mean, Jan Gustafsson always makes me laugh. He's he's, he's very very funny. very funny. So it's it's hard to compete with him. But um, you know, in terms of like a pinch me mo moment, obviously interviewing someone like uh, Viswanathan Anand was just like totally surreal. Like just didn't felt like it was a dream. You know, <laughs> didn't didn't. Uh, feel like real life but I think like people who haven't listened to many of the episodes like you know I'm not I'm not breaking any news there so I do like a lot of the the deep cuts you know especially the older interviews a lot of people who discovered the podcast in, in recent years might not have listened so I like a lot of the old school Soviet guys like uh, Alex Yermolinsky 
Melik uh, Kachian, the Armenian former coach of uh, Levan Aronian. And I'd love to get the chess history from like John Watson and John Donaldson. So, I mean, I really do love doing the podcast. And for that reason, like um, I'm lucky that uh, I basically enjoyed all the interviews and there's there's different, you know, things to enjoy about different ones. But th- those are a few of my favorites. Is there, is there a dream guest you haven't had yet? You know, I recently had my heart broken. I don't think it's I don't think it's telling tales out of school if I tell someone who basically said they're they're not going to do the podcast. I don't know. I don't know if I should say that, but I'll just say someone I've mentioned in the past as a dream guest. It's uh, unlikely to happen. Um, I don't know. I've thought about like. I mean, the short answer, I guess, is no. You know, obviously, people ask me about Magnus all the time, especially as the podcast continues to grow. Um, that would be cool. Um you know, I've thought about Daryl Morey. Shout out to Daryl if you're listening. Shout out Daryl Morey. Of- just venting about the Sixers. But then you have to be careful because like, all right, I'm an NBA fan. You're an NBA fan. But like, that's not our, you know, we have to serve our audience. So um, so it's not necessarily like you You have to be careful not to just go off the rails with unless you're going to release it as like a bonus episode or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sorry. It's like I feel like it's an inadequate answer, but I don't um, I don't really have like a dream dream guest that springs to mind um off the have top you tried of my head to get, have you tried to get magnus is there a- i actually haven't yeah that's that's a funny thing i mean i've never made a formal inquiry i sort of it's sort of at this point it's almost by design i feel like when when you know i'm not a religious person but when when the gods are ready you know he's just gonna come down and drop on drop in on my zoom or whatever and it will be that That's... seems to be how he rolls anyway. And he's a yeah. podcaster too. He has some fantasy football podcasts in Norway. Oh, I didn't um, even know that. But yeah, yeah, I mean, he's not inaccessible. So I'm hopeful that it will happen someday. Yeah, I'm hopeful too for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, that could be a cool little race that we can have. See who's first to get Magnus on the show. It's on. <laughs> it's on. It's officially on. Um, yeah, and in regards to Daryl Morey, I mean, you know, given the state of the Philadelphia 76ers, I mean, we can talk about it a little later, but I, I, you know, you, I'm sure it would not be easy discussion to to stay on chess when you have the Ben Simmons thing going on. So yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I guess as 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 a podcaster, do you have any any kind of general advice about the about things that that uh, like what kept you going in the beginning when it was. Uh, when it was maybe tough and you weren't getting any any sort of financial benefit like what like what were what were some of the things that you 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 were doing to just stay on top of your game well um i mean the main thing is just that i enjoyed it like it was my favorite as i was i used to say it actually on the um the like recorded thing at the end where i think the patreon sponsors it was my favorite work thing whether i was being paid or not i treated it like a job um it was my favorite work thing of the week so you know, I, and I'd seen other sort of people without a traditional media background sort of, um, you know, slide in through the back door into like podcasting full time. So I I knew that it was possible. Um, so it really wasn't that hard. Like it, it, what was hard was like not missing a week, you know, which gets to what you were saying at the beginning and would be like my advice, like try to get a couple weeks ahead and then just, turn them out, close your eyes and see where you are in like a year. Like that's sort of like the, the level of commitment I think that's required. Um, 
but I think if that, you know, I do think if you did that, there's a, there's a decent chance you would find it viable. I mean, I know that you're also like young and quite accomplished. I mean, it's an amazing freaking Fulbright, Fulbright scholarship and you're doing a chess podcast on the side. So I'm, I'm sure it can be challenging. You've got a lot of, uh, you know, demands on your sort of professional energy. Um, but if, if you d- decide personally that it's worthwhile, like I do think you, ha- you kind of have to go all in. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's good advice. And it's, it's been, it's been really cool to, um, to do this thing. I really enjoy doing it. Like it, it is the highlight of my week usually when I do this and I've had some really cool guests already. So yeah, I want to just shout out to everybody who's listening to it. Cause I, I really do value that. Although I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still very far away from 10,000 streams an episode. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's harder now. How to chess? You know the the podcast I do with Chessable. Like I'm, you know, very grateful f- to Chessable for sponsoring it. And I sort of felt like, okay, I'm going to launch. You know, the Adult Improver episodes on Perpetual Chess are amongst the most popular. So I felt like if I do a shorter one, you know, less of a time commitment, um, you know, it will. I felt like it might even be more popular than than Perpetual Chess. And, you know, it's doing decently. It has, you know, thousands, thousands of listeners, but it's been surprisingly challenging for me to even sort of grow a second podcast. So the only lesson I can sort of derive from that is that there's just no substitute for like slow and steady organic growth. Like you can't, you know, I mean, I'm I'm someone like Levy, it, it would be interesting to know, like, you know, someone with like a massive following, like what happens when he sort of dips his toe in, in the podcasting world, because um, otherwise I think it's, uh, it's, it's hard to just build an audience from the ground up. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even, but even, even Levy, I'm a big fan of Levy. I've been, I've been following him. I, I have subscribed to him on Twitch. Um, but I, even Levy, I mean, the kind of podcast he's doing, I think is, it's a lot more uh, relaxed and uh, it's, I don't think it's as focused on chess as, as ours. Although I think yeah, I think it's kind of a spectrum as well, but uh, but yeah, I think his is his is really more accessible for the kind of people like like watches his streams. Yeah, so I, for sure. Although I saw that your 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 episode with him uh, was the the video was put on his channel. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was his idea. That was really nice of him. I mean, obviously he wanted his he's he's been super gracious to me. I have to say, um, obviously he wanted his viewers to know more about his background, but still like to to expose like that size an audience to uh to to my podcast was amazing and he gave me a shout out when in his first interview he gave perpetual chess a shout out in his interview with uh geary so uh which he did not have to do so shout out to to levy genuinely uh, a good guy yeah I, yeah you can tell and uh yeah that's that's also someone that i would love to do do an episode with i mean he's uh that's been that's been really crazy to see because i remember seeing ads on uh on twitter i think he used to like or like replies or something like plugging his his courses or whatever and he's grown into like the the, the face of internet chess basically yeah it's crazy it's it's really wild and actually like you know talking about the, like the kind of audience and stuff like when there was this big chess boom, did you did you see a big influx in first? Well, I guess with the Levy episode, that also applies. But did you see like a big influx in, in your listeners suddenly like, oh, whoa, there's this big, big peak like in the in the data? Yeah, I mean, in, in hindsight, it's kind of easier to sort of uh, apply the narrative. But definitely like numbers were up a lot last year. I mean, something like 40 or 50 percent, you know, wow. year over year, which is great. But then again, like Lee Chess and Chess.com like more than doubled. So um, podcasting is still going to always be like a, a tiny corner of, uh, the chess universe, but yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a, a great year for perpetual chess and, uh, 
you know, I recently was able to um, like sign a deal with uh, Blue Wire Podcast, who are like a big uh, sports and sort of lifestyle podcasting network. Um, and like, I don't think something like that would have happened if not for wow. uh, the increased visibility of chess. Wow. So do they, do they like on Twitter, do they like promote your podcast episodes sometimes? They don't. Uh, it's not like their main emphasis because it's like NFL season and they have like an NFL podcast for every team, you know? Right. Um, so, I mean, uh, you know, I have like the logo now on the Perpetual Chess podcast and they, um, you know, in, insert some ads in it and they have like a studio space in Las Vegas where I could potentially do a live pod someday. But I mean, uh, let's it's suffice to say Perpetual Chess is not their biggest podcast. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, chess, NFL, I mean, one yeah, is clearly, yeah. clearly bigger than the other. I mean, NFL kind of has to live in the shadow of chess, unfortunately. Moving in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> Less concussion risk. Now, talking to, talking about a little bit about about your chess career, I didn't know that you were uh, that you were a national master. I've listened to a bunch of your episodes actually, and I just never knew that. Maybe maybe you've mentioned it before. I never really paid attention. So, uh, well, my rating's down to twenty one hundred. So I try not to like promote it too much because I feel I feel a little conflicted about it. I mean, I know it's technically like once a master, always a master. Like you know, you still have the certificate or whatever, but. It's a bit of a sore point that my rating does nothing but go down. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I did peak around 2270 uh, many, many years ago. Did you, uh, I mean, look, your, your podcasting ELO is 2800 though. So it's, uh, you know, it's a trade-off. <laughs> Thanks, man. I will say this. It is way easier to improve at podcasting than chess. Like, yeah. you know, you're young, your mind is fertile. So I know that you're like on the grind and, uh, you know, on the adult improver waiting list, but, um, but uh, chess podcasting, like if you re-listen to your interviews and like, you know, try to think about follow-up questions you could have asked and, uh, you know, get your prep game tight. Like it's way easier than getting better at chess. It's similar though. You have to work on your openings, which is just the questions, right? You have to and analyze intros, your mistakes. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, they, there's a lot of similarities. They, they really, they, they work together. I wonder. Yeah. If could... Well, I mean, there's something about chess that, that you know, if you learn to like sort of in a self-directed fashion, get good at something like that's applicable anywhere. You know, I agree. I think that's the most valuable thing, you know, not to, not to talk too much about chess improvement, but for me, like when I, I started playing chess, I mean, my, my, my mom is Soviet. So, so like her, my, her dad, my grandpa, he taught me that. Oh, so you're born like 1800. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 I, I learned how to move the pieces. When I was like five, but I, uh -huh. I, I really only started like really learning chess when I was in college the end of my first year of college. And it, it really, what I, what I tell people when they ask is what, did, you know, cause a lot of people ask like, how does chess like apply to your real life? Cause everyone has this notion that chess players are all geniuses. And, and the only thing that's really helped me with is I think patience actually learning to slow down and learning to just kind of analyze things in the moment. That's something I never used to do. I used to just kind of rush through everything. And, and that's, that's something that's been really cool about chess. And that definitely applies to the podcast too, with, in terms of decision-making and, and, and organizing myself. So, so that's been, I, I, I do agree with that completely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, talking about your chess career a little bit, like, so, so you were a national master and then uh, you just, you, how long have you been retired from OTB chess or are you planning on coming back to OTB chess? Uh, I am in theory unretired. I've been studying almost every day for six months, um, but I played one tournament uh, post quote unquote post COVID. Um, and uh, yeah, the results weren't great, although I was pretty happy with how I played. And, you know, I ran into a lot of these young kids, of course, who were, I hope were underrated. Um, but overall, I mean, I'm 
you know, doing the adult improver interviews, seeing all these people working so hard and like, you know, obviously just having my living be talking about chess, it's, it inspires me to, to keep working on my game. And, uh, I'm actually supposed to play a tournament tonight. Um, as I mentioned to you, um, that like, it's the one time a year Gorchberg comes to Princeton, like 10 minutes from my house. But as I mentioned to you, my wife has had some health issues, so I'm registered, but as we record, I still don't know if I'm playing in the tournament, but in any event, like sooner or later, I, my kids have my younger kid, my daughter is, um, she just started kindergarten. And for parents, that's an age where like you kind of, if you're young, when your youngest goes to kindergarten, you start to get your life back. Like you have kids, you kind of, everything, you know, gets thrown out the window. And then once, once both kids are school age, like not only do you save money on daycare, but like suddenly you have a bit more time. Um, and it's a bit more manageable to like leave your partner um, to be alone with the kids on a weekend while you go play chess, say, for example. So anyway, I'm hoping to play about 10 tournaments a year. I'm not sure if it'll happen this weekend or it'll have to wait a little bit more. But like I'm working with a coach and putting in like an hour a day and um, hoping to uh, reclaim some rating points. So why do you need any adult improvers on your, you, you have an adult improver in the mirror. That's maybe, what doing, a <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the, the whole improvement part, the, I got the adult part down. I'm not sure about the improvement part though, but I'm trying. No, but an hour a day. That's, I mean, that's, that's better than most people. That's more. Than no, no, I'm trying. I'm just saying yeah. like, the, I mean, you know, I, for better or for worse, this, this, um, I'm not sure if it's right philosophically that I've gravitated towards people that have these like outsized results. Um, because obviously like the vast majority of people are going to have results, hopefully not as bad as mine, but like they, it's really hard, especially as you get into your thirties and you start to have kids, it's really hard to get better. Um, so the, the guests that I interview are not necessarily representative of the sort of what a lot of people are going through. And I'm certainly in that department, but if it weren't my podcast, I definitely would not be picking me as an adult improver guest, <laughs> put it like that. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, you mentioned you mentioned your uh, your daughter going to kindergarten. You know, kindergarten is also it's a ripe age to start uh, teaching teaching kids uh, hobbies. I mean, have you have you thought maybe to introduce your your kids to chess, or is that something that you're going to wait to see if they're interested in? Yeah, I try not to to force feed. I mean, I taught my son. I actually ran a chess program at a school. He's eight, and he's basically not that interested. Um, I, you know, I think I've mentioned in previous interviews, like there's this sort of philosophical question of if you should let kids win. And I didn't really let him win and maybe didn't make the proper rules to play games where he could win. And it seems to have scarred him a bit. <laughs> um, my daughter, she plays, we play mini games, um, like uh, involving some of the pieces, but we haven't used all the pieces yet. Um, in terms of predisposition, she doesn't seem as, uh, she's not as into games as my son was. So I'm, I would be great if she got into it and I'll start teaching her properly soon. Um, but then it's up to her. I mean, you know, in Soviet Russia, I mean, if you were four and you weren't like reading Dvoretsky's endgame manual, I mean, <laughs> you're behind. So I mean, exactly. I, that's a secret. I just think you got to start, you know, on, on before the, the school bus while she's eating her, her waffles or pancakes, you got to just give her a chapter of Dvoretsky to do. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's really cool. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I mean, I'm glad that you that you're that you're back in the in in the Coliseum. Are are you kind of so you you played a tournament and was there anything that uh, you kind of had noticed after you know years on break that, I mean, I also know it was pandemic, of course, so maybe the the judgment can't be as. Uh, yeah, well, just what everyone has been saying about like 
you know, the kids are so strong and the pandemic only accelerated that. I mean, I ran, you know, I ran my games through the like Lee chess, like, uh, um, uh, what's it called? The computer analysis. And like, you know, this 1900 kid I played had like a 12 cent upon loss and like a Jeez. game we drew. Um, so it's, it's just tough, you know, getting to what I was saying about improving, even though I'm 2100 now and I was 2270 or whatever, I don't feel like I'm, I'm not 170. Like if you take the scale from 20 years ago, I'm not 170 points weaker, but the chess, chess players are just getting better and better. And when I play, that's what strikes me is like how much harder it is to beat. Um, you know, I know this is probably around your, your rating strength, but on it, so, but it would have been higher back in the day because how much harder it is to beat, like say an 1800 now than it was 20 years ago. And that, that makes it daunting. You know, you really, um, every tournament you're questioning and, and, you know, you try not to be results oriented. You try to focus on the process and focus on the, the journey and, and all that stuff. But it's, it's hard when you're investing a lot of time and money and, uh, the, the results are not, um, what you would, what you would, uh, prefer. I think honestly, and I, I know other GMs have talked about this on streams and stuff. I think a big reason for that strength is is it comes down to one thing, and that's chessable. I know chessable yeah. sponsors you, but the, the fact that on chessable, I'm not even saying this is an ad. I'm just saying genuinely, um, the fact that you can buy a course from a super grandmaster and just grind a bunch of these lines. I mean, like at 1800 today, you know, in terms of opening strength 20 years ago, probably is playing something at FM or IM level openings, like like online like during a blitz game like on the toilet like that's just that's just crazy like like that that kind of knowledge was just not accessible in the same way unless you were like grinding chess and form and issues every single week or something like that you were buying every book you could buy like that's something that i think because uh, i think you know and that yeah that that i think is like a very big big part of it yeah shout out to chessable and i you know i agree like the space repetition just turbocharges learning openings. I mean, as someone old enough who had to learn them the old school way, but obviously like engines are a huge, um, huge factor as well. Just the fact that like, you know, everyone can iterate, you know, you play your game, you immediately run the engine, you learn, you play the game, you run the engine, you learn. It used to be like the games were the sacred thing. Like the games were the thing that you couldn't get. Um, and obviously now that that's not the case. Yeah. And you, you, I use engine. I'm like, I'm creating in this horrific opening lab. I have this Lee chess study where I just make these disgusting opening files of, of things that are like engine run, like gambit lines or whatever that I just create like my own concoction. So nobody can prepare. And I, that's also, that's like to have the engine assess your position and say like something that, that is just ungodly four pawn sacrifice or whatever is like a minus one and a half. That's pretty good. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's like, yeah, I, I think that's, that's, um, I, I just really, and that's something that I really admire about Lee Chess. And, you know, also as an astrophysicist, you know, um, all the software that I use is open source, basically. That's a, it's an important philosophy about, you know, science being open access. All the major astronomy journals are going open access in 2022. It's something that I really care about. And so, like, the democratizing knowledge. And so, the fact that that's happening in today's day and age for chess, I know it's something that I think even Kasparov kind of lamented that all the secrets of the USSR, like, are not so secret anymore right. um, in terms of chess. I think that that's great and it's really beautiful actually the fact that you know that, that that we can have access to like a lot of these these great deep ideas like right on the comfort of our, our phone that's like and but on the other hand that you have these like wonderkind you know i actually i i've told the story maybe but i played in like some beginner tournament at the marshall chess club because that's my home club actually 
and uh, I was I was expecting you know someone who's like you know whatever pretty high rated like online that I would just come it was like an under twelve hundred USCF rating because my USCF rating is very low and so I thought I would just go and destroy the tournament and I finished dead last because everyone else there was even better than me and had the same exact yeah. idea. So it's just like it's just it's crazy. I mean, it's really crazy. The the the, the chess scene is just uh, right now is like a is really like the wild west. A lot of and a lot of cowboys b3 cowboys even <laughs> that's true yeah. have you had any of the b3 cowboy people on your on your show recently well i mean i heard your episode with gear i'm uh friendly with gear and he's been on perpetual chess yeah, back awesome. in the day um i haven't interviewed adi bon i'm a fan of his i would like to someday yeah. um so i guess the answer is no um but i mean i'm uh i'm like a uh low-key b3 cowboy i mean i'm playing one night f3 but i often end up going b3 so um i'm a closet member of the movement i also i've been i've been throwing against the karakan and the french has become my main weapons uh it's it, I, it's actually very good i i have my grandma my coach is a grandmaster and uh uh I, he actually agrees with me that the against the karakan 2b3 is 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 great it's like you can get in some many lines you just get a better version more aggressive version against like uh black's plans and the carol con um against the french is very dubious in my opinion but i'm gonna keep playing it because it's so much fun so, yeah it seems okay against the like e6 sicilian too like e4 c5 right. knight f3 e6 and then b3 right, right. Um, and, yeah it's the western in attack or whatever and i've actually I've, I've i've been analyzing that too so yeah i i mean i only mentioned that because you know going back to the chessable thing i mean i the amount of b3s i see on lee chess as the first move with the black pieces is, is like almost aggravating like it, huh. it's just and that that's again like that's just the influence of all these like online tools that weren't around like five years even five years ago so it's pretty crazy yeah um well anyway uh i know you have to go run and do it uh maybe go to your tournament if first of all if you go to your tournament best of luck um, thank you yeah however I'm not letting you off the hook yet because we do have a sponsored section coming up. This is Instant Insights sponsored by Aim Chess. Uh, I kind of forgot to mention, I was supposed to mention at the start of the podcast, totally slipped my mind. But this podcast is, of course, sponsored by Aim Chess. As usual, Aim Chess has been a very gracious sponsor since the summer. You can use code David30 to get 30% off your first month with AimChess. I know you also have a code with AimChess and you Yeah, don't don't come in here. Don't use his weak code. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, shout out to AimChess. It's awesome that they're uh, that they're sponsoring a up and coming podcast like yours and I, I mean as I've I think I've said in some of the ads that I run on Perpetual Chess, I was an AimChess subscriber before they even reached out to me. It's just like it, it's just fun to see the trends in your game and wonder about why you can't move faster in it's, my it's, case. Yeah, it's really cool. Oh, I have the same problem actually. Time management is, is well below like 1600s or whatever, but here I am, yeah. I'm somewhere like drowning in some big ocean, but but I'm, I'm there. Um, well, yeah, you know, AimChess has a, has a variety of tools you can use to get instant insights into your game and start improving immediately. And on that note, um, here is another edition of Instant Insights sponsored by AimChess. And uh, I don't know, you said you've heard this before, so I'm going to throw you right into the gauntlet. Um, are you ready? Uh, yes, let's do it. So this is kind of rapid fire, but feel free to explain your answers or or not if you just want to be mysterious, but you can just feel free. You know, you don't have to give one word answers. And on that note, first question that I always ask, do you prefer a knight or bishop? I mean... <laughs> uh it's 
the bishop's a stronger piece, but I'm going to go with the knight. I mean, just having an animal in the game instead of all these sort of abstract things, like you got to have that, uh, you know, it, draw, it draws the kids in, it, it, it's nonlinear. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to the knight. That, you know, that's great. I, I, I completely agree. I'm a big knight fan. Um, there was a big discourse in the last episode about the bishop pair versus bishop knight versus knight knight. And, you know, but but the knight is the coolest piece on the chessboard. Absolutely agree. Um, for number two, I know you are an OTB connoisseur. And uh, we haven't really talked at all about this World Chess Championship match. But are you Team Carlson or Team Nepo? I mean, I can't. I can't. I can't front. I'm rooting for Magnus. I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, how can I? I mean, I just think he's so cool. Like, I mean, you know nobody's perfect but he's so amazing and he's been so good for chess um so yeah i'm i'm rooting for magnus no nobody has said nepo since i asked this question <laughs> which is a small sample size but i mean this is a this is a thing that nepo and i mean i know i know maxime talked about this on your on your podcast as well but this is a kind of one of those things that it, it's 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 good to be king basically is what i'm yeah i mean i didn't Kramnik didn't tell me who he's rooting for but he basically made it sound like he thought nepo might be the favorite which is uh crazy to me but who am i to argue with him well i think i think you know i mean who am i to say is a idiot patzer but i mean i think uh nepo is the one person who i think if he does somehow get a lead i think he can actually keep it because he really knows how to create chaos in this con kind of controlled way um, and I, I think, like, uh, if, if he gets the kind of positions that he likes to play, I think he, he, he's basically at equal footing with Magnus. So I think the, the I'm really curious to see, first of all, who's on his team. Second, and I'm also really curious to see how, um, how he responds in terms of openings and stuff like that. That's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Speaking of him being who's being on his team, I find it so odd that, like, you know, the, the uh, Grand Swiss is coming up and that Anish Giri and Wesley So are not playing in it. Like, I'm wondering if they're on someone's uh, prep team, because it's so bizarre to me that, you know, there's eight candidate spots, four of them are taken, there's two opportunities to fill the remaining four spots, and two of the top 10 players in the world are passing up on one of those opportunities, like, I, I just, I don't understand it at all. Well, I thought Wesley was playing the US Championship, maybe that's why. I mean... But, but like Fabi's also playing it too. Fabi's playing the U.S. Championship and he's playing the Grand Swiss. Yeah, I mean, and you're in the prime of your career. Like you, you have a short window to try to try to win the World Championship. So, like, U.S. Championship is great. I know there's good prize money, but like, um, none of these guys are are hurting for money. I, I I just it's quite odd to me. But Wesley would actually make sense because he's given Magnus a lot of problems. So he, you know, in, in, I think out of anyone in, in the chess world has been Wesley, basically, who's really had his number um, in the last few years. So, um, and maybe like also like Esipenko, I guess, who beat him in Norway. Um, but but I digress. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's a, that's a, that's some, that's some deep, uh, that's, that's like the poker in you. <laughs> yeah. It's confounding. Yeah, that's, that's really, I mean, I, like I said, I, you know, I, I read this, I'm in the middle of reading this book, I should say that I've talked about a lot, this, uh, the Anand files. I, I've just been like all, all the characters in that book. I just, I want to just talk to them about this, this, like on all these matches. I'm fascinated, but you know, the, the whole concept of opening prep and like team Anand and all of that has really like, I really like learned about high level chess in this way. And I'm like so interested to now that I'm actually aware of these kinds of things and these little rivalries and little t 
teamwork things like i'm really curious to see who's on nepo's team like that's the thing that i'm they're really the announcement i'm waiting to hear so yeah it's a great book yeah yeah um next question where's the favorite place where you've ever played chess uh, I think someone else, I might've said this, um, on your podcast possibly, but I got to give a shout out to Iceland. Um, I went to the Reykjavik open, um, like, uh, I've been off and on retired for like prior to this comeback, like come back, retire, come back, retire. But sometime, I believe it was, uh, 2006 when I was mostly consumed with poker, but I just decided to take like a sort of chess vacation, um, and had an amazing, played terrible, but had an amazing time in Reykjavik. It's an awesome city, super nice people, and they're true pros running the tournament. So uh, definitely recommend it for anyone looking for like a chess destination tournament. Yeah, that's that's on my list. I mean, I've been to Reykjavik before, not for chess, just for vacation. And and uh, yeah, it's it's on it's it's on my eyes. The Reykjavik Open. It's uh, it's on. My, yeah, uh, just not too far from you, right? Yeah, it's a direct flight on Iceland Air. It's actually I had my layover there. I've I've been at the airport like three times, I think, at this point. So I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely on my radar. Um, although I am I'm pretty bad, so I don't know if I'm, I'm I have the ego to get crushed in a. No, but there's a decent and there's a wide range of players. I mean, you'll you'll win a couple games, I think. I don't know. My OTP record in 2021, you know, it being way stronger than ever, it was like, you know, 10 losses and one win and all of all eight, 10 out of 11 games I was completely winning. So it just, yeah, I, I need to work on my OTB. Um, but it is what it is. You know, that's, that's the improvement part. That's why I got brought my real board actually, especially from America. So I could really practice that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do want, you know, I'm in Europe now, so why not playing some open tournaments in Europe? You know, I actually may join the Danish league. You're like one of the t- tiers. Cause I think they're opening uh, one of the league plays in my club. So that that'll be fun, but I'll nice. of course be in like, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some plenty of Danish people on chess Twitter. I'm trying to get uh, into my little podcast too, but that's a sneak peek. Awesome. Um, anyway, moving on to the next question. Who's your favorite chess player of all time? Yeah. I mean, I really have two, but I'm got to give, I got to give a shout out to Judah. I mean, just such a crusher, just like, you know, like break the male dominance just in and do it not in like a way you might expect, you know, whereas like the stereotype might've been like the woman's going to play more cautiously. I know my wife is more risk averse than I am when it comes to like financial decisions and stuff like that. But Judah just comes in like jacking people. Like I, I, I love going through her games and yeah, it's, it's hard to top that, but second place is uh Capablanca. Um, I just, just today released a, a book review podcast where kind of crapped on this book. Unfortunately, it's just, uh, it's hard to read hundred year old chess books, no matter who you are um, or who you were, but uh, Capablanca for his like simplicity, but like uh, Judith, what she did is, um, you know, it's uh, there's no one like her. Did you read that book in uh, in algebraic notation, or was it the OG? Uh no, I wrote. Shout out to Martin Sechess. Uh, he sent me his um his new his new algebraic version. I I don't I don't get down with descriptive. I've been there and done that, so no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also shout out Martin, who's Danish. Uh, someone I'm trying to yeah. do my podcast, so we'll see. Um, next uh, next question: What is the most memorable tournament you've ever played? Um, I mean, uh, I won an under 2200 section for like six grand when I was like 16 or 17 in the New York open. And, you know, my family was middle-class, so 
but you know, chess was mostly just hemorrhaging money. So obviously that was like a huge boon for, for someone my age. I mean, but I'm, I don't have a great episodic memory. This is one of the ways I'm different from like uh, Greg Shahadi. Like I, everything's, uh, you know, I, I can form mental pictures of things, but like I couldn't show you a game from it or something like that. But I guess, but I guess like that would be the highlight. So I guess maybe the next question will be a little more difficult, but like, what's the favorite game you've ever played? Oh God. Yeah. That's a tough one. I mean, uh, you know, I'm just going to say like, you know, I played Greg Shahadi probably 10 times in tournaments and I think I beat him once or twice. I'm a year older. So like I was briefly better than him. Um, so I think I beat him once or twice before he started to beat me every time. So whatever that game was, that's my favorite. <laughs> You still bring that up as like, uh, you know, being friends. No, friends. it's too, you know, when someone just owns you, like you can't be like, oh, remember that one time I beat, <laughs> I beat you. Um, so I don't, I don't, I'd rather just avoid the topic if possible. <laughs> What's your record with him in poker matches? Yeah, poker's funny the way it works um, because there's all kinds of different like poker variants, basically. So we we never really like we very briefly played the same kind exact kind of poker and we had some fun home games um here and there but we didn't we didn't tangle too much but i mean obviously he he did his homework and was a, a great poker player you know this one will be a lot easier well maybe not but um what's the favorite game you've ever seen in chess period favorite game of somebody else let's say hmm let's see I mean, as a, as a chess teacher, you know, I, I like, uh, the short instructive games like Lasker Thomas with like queen takes H seven check and the huge King walk. And then, uh, I love to show Judith games. Um, uh, when I did a book recap with Jen Shahadi, we were talking about this pole guard, chilling uh, just total bloodbath and a Ross Alimo Sicilian. Uh, she also recently did an interview with James Altucher where he was talking about, she has this very famous game against uh, Hungarian grandmaster Berkus where um, she played it's, you know, people who've seen the game will know what I'm talking about. Basically she had this sort of original concept to sort of lock a pawn structure and then play a pawn break that involved like a peace sacrifice. Um, so th those are a few that come to mind. And uh, I like the short bangers, the miniatures. Yeah, no, you got it's always good to see. And especially, you know, my favorites are the modern miniatures when we see like a, a re and I'm not talking about like blunder a piece in the opening kind of miniature. I'm talking about uh, I have the same cup, by the way. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, but, but I'm talking about the real um, I'm talking about the real kinds of uh, like 20 move, just total destruction, random sacrifice out of nowhere. We don't see too many of those these days, but they happen. And when they happen, they are glorious. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Final question before we briefly talk about Ben Simmons. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite opening? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me this. I mean, I think it has to be the Sicilian. When I was a kid, I played the Accelerated Dragon, and then I loved it for a long time, but too many people were playing the Moroxy. So now I play the Sveshnikov, and it's probably like my favorite opening that I play. I got to give a shout out to I am Christoph Selecki. I love his uh, Fight Like Magnus. Sveshnikov course it's just such a fun sort of swashbuckling dynamic opening um as long as people don't play the Ross Alimo um so I, I think that would be my choice so I mean the Sicilian broadly yeah broadly okay gotcha um well yeah yeah that was uh that was instant insight sponsored by aim chess once again you could use my code uh david30 to get uh three months off of your subscription with aim chess. And I want to thank aim chess for being such a great sponsor and doing so much for my, uh, for my podcast. And, uh, 
gears to many more episodes. Aim Chess, um, I do want to talk, you know, you said you're a basketball mm-hmm. connoisseur and, uh, you know, you survived an hour in the podcast land with me. So the reward is what, what's, what's going oh on in God. Philly? What's going oh on my in God. Philly? All right, I'm a so, Nets fan, by the way. So, oh, you know, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I used to live three blocks from Barclays. Um, so I, you know, if I still live there, they would probably be my, I don't know. I don't know if I could get on board with the team with Kyrie, but anyway, first of all, anyone who's turning off the show now, cause you're not an NBA fan. Thank you for listening. And now, yeah, th- <laughs> yeah thanks so much for listening. Um, yeah, so, so I'll do another round of, 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 of goodbyes, but yeah, thank you. If you're, if you're clocking out now, thanks for listening. If you do decide to skip like a couple of minutes, we'll, we'll talk about some stuff that, 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 yeah, you uh, still get full credit for listening. Yeah. Take care everyone. It's yeah. NBA time. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Kyrie's just a total nutcase. I mean, what are you going to say? Um, but amazing. So fun to watch when he has the ball. Um, but Ben Simmons, I mean, just like what, what kind of backwards ass adult improver is he like, he refuses to get better at like the primary job that a basketball player has like torpedoes the team. And now like he's under contract for four years, making tens of millions of dollars. And like, it's the, the team and the fans fault that he can't do his job. It's just so aggravating and everyone's like walking on eggshells trying to appease him. I mean, he probably has some sort of like, and I'm not saying this, like, uh, not trying to make light of this, but I mean, I do think there's sort of like a mental health issue component. I mean, there's, there's something wrong in terms of like the way that he's like, uh, the, the people that are giving him information, because it's just, it's really aggravating as a fan, but I mean, I hope, uh, you know, he's probably okay. It seems like he's enjoying life other than like refusing to learn how to shoot. I think, uh, well, I, you know, I, and, uh, not to, not to reveal too much, but my friends and I, who we had our basketball podcast, we, we may resuscitate this, this dead podcast, you know, given my newfound podcasting skills. Um, but, uh, over the last few months, I should say, but, but we were talking about Ben Simmons, actually, just, just as friends, you know, talking basketball. And I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know what really there is to say, like you can, you, where are you going to trade him to? You, there's no good targets. What the best the best case scenario is what D'Angelo Russell for Ben Simmons. No, no, they'll get better than that. Daryl Morey doesn't mess around. He's gonna he's gonna wait. I mean, the guy was like for all of his flaws, he's clear he's a top 40 player, you know, under contract for four years. And there's tons of small markets where they they can't sign a guy like that. So he'll extract some value. I think Maury will. I think it might have to be a thing where like he uh gets a bunch of draft picks and then tries right. to flip them. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, whatever was leaked about these like outlandish offers, like four first rounders or whatever, that's not going to happen. But like, I feel like he could get like, uh, you know, a good young player and a draft pick or two and like Embiid and the supporting cast are good enough where like the Sixers all will have a chance. Yeah. And be Embiid's an animal. I mean, as a Nets yeah. fan, we always get destroyed by centers and it, it's really hard to have Joel Embiid in, in, in the same conference of all us. The only guy who might be worse is Nikola Jokic because he also just kind of, you know, Nikola Jokic, he's kind of like the, uh, he's like the Queen's Gambit declined of uh, <laughs> of chess players, uh, of basketball players, I should say, because he really will just come out of nowhere and this really, he, there's just, he's so versatile. There's so many ways he can come and get you and you never really know where it's coming from. You have to watch out for all of these threats and, uh, but it's also very quiet. So, you know, he, he's like the quietest triple-double threat in the NBA. You just will look at the box score and suddenly he'll be like 30 points, 20 rebounds, and 18 assists or something insane like that. He'd be like, How yeah, he, he's amazing. But I, I I love Embiid. He's so much fun to root for. So 
I just hope he can stay healthy. Yeah. I think as a Nets fan who roots roots against him very heavily when we play, he's 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 a beast. And uh, you know, you mentioned Kyrie as much as you dislike him, and of course he's in the news as usual um, for the for the vaccine stuff. How do you think I feel? He's a flat earther, and I'm a, yeah, you know, working towards becoming a professional astronomer. So how do you think I feel? <laughs> so I've decided. So you're saying you don't share his, his flat earth? No, opinion. no, no. <laughs> no, I don't. But I'll tell you that like that's kind of my goal. If I can name some algorithm or something after him, I will. And that's gonna. That would force, be amazing. Yeah, you know, when I just call it Kyrie, or you know, I my dream was to have a paper where the the first in the abstract is like we present Kyrie, a method for simulating blah 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 blah. And now his name is always gonna be associated with astrophysics until both of us are long gone from from the world. That's like that's like the dream for me because I feel like that would be the nicest way to pay tribute to him as like just a genius basketball player, but also to really put him in this, you know, real universe and not in flat earth land. I think that's like, that would be like the, the, the best way for me to kind of fight that. Cause I really don't like that. Like I, I it, it, it just, it, it, yeah. What is there really to say? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I, I actually feel bad for, for Philly fans. Cause I think that was a kind of a tough, tough series against Atlanta. Um, yeah. It was painful. I mean, it was really painful to watch, although you kind of saw the writing on the wall at some point. But yeah, um, I don't know if it's going to happen um, for the Sixers, but it's never a dull moment. Well, I, I, now I know that uh, I will I will I know who to DM now when something happens <laughs> with the Sixers. Yes, so, which it will. Yeah. <laughs> something always happens. So um, it's now in uh, in earnest, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? I know you, you have a lot going on, so take as much time as you need if there's anything you want to share <laughs> obviously host of the perpetual chess podcast like i've said many times you should follow to fo- follow it on spotify or wherever you can find your it, it's on every podcast service i'm sure i know you also do the videos right on youtube right so you should also subscribe yeah so on on youtube i just do mostly video renderings although as we record i actually as sort of an experiment i have an interview with uh, king's crusher who was like an og youtube guy like been doing it since 2007 and used to be one of the biggest youtubers in the world still has over 100k subs but similar to what you mentioned with uh with levy we actually recorded in video and he's going to post it on his channel on on uh, tuesday october 5th i think it is when it comes out um so i mean i'm curious to hear what people think of the video format you know some people have said to me it's like anathema like the reason i started a podcast is because i couldn't be watching videos when i was driving around but um, it does seem like uh, the a lot of there seems to be increased interest in looking at my face while you hear me talk for reasons that are beyond me. So 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 I guess check out that episode. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that was a plug or like. Yeah. No, sure. No, no, no. <laughs> ask, yeah. Ask for feedback or whatever, but yeah. Um, but anyway, actually, yeah. Yeah, I actually may be experimenting with the video thing too. It's just a matter of getting a camera because I don't think the MacBook cameras is, is enough. Uh, I so. think MacBook cameras are supposed to be pretty good. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're fine. It's, but I, I think that, uh, I don't like, I, I would rather get like a professional camera, like for the computer, even if so, if I may want to go into streaming or whatever, uh, growing the brand or whatever. So that's something I'm considering. So I actually, I'm wondering what, what people think about that too. Um, it's good to see someone else try it before me. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, I know Levy's keeping it real with, uh, with video as well right. as, uh, audio only and uh and yeah listeners obviously you know you don't have to listen to perpetual chess you don't have to subscribe you don't have to listen to how to chess but at least subscribe do me a solid you know smash that subscribe button and then just make sure every episode uh downloads 
and it it helps a lot. I can yeah, it it really helps to to subscribe. So even if you even if you have no interest in in listening to either of our podcasts, you just hit the subscribe and ignore us in your Spotify feed. <laughs> exactly. It it, it help it really helps a lot. So um, but yeah, I mean, the, so check out Perpetual Chess. Really, there's like a treasure trove of interviews. Like even across like the five years, there's just there are really a lot of great interviews with great players and interesting figures in chess and beyond. And I it, it's just it, it's. It's simply the best chess podcast on the market, and uh, you should you should definitely listen to it. You should definitely subscribe, and you're, I, mean, I know you're going to be getting uh, a lot of good content out of that. And then it's another chess podcast to listen to and and, and expand your 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 chessosphere brain or whatever. Um, yeah, thanks so much for listening. This was a pleasure. I really enjoyed doing this. Uh, I hope to have you on again. Sure. Um, you know, I maybe if that that waiting list ever shortens down for the Dalton Provers. I mean, you're, you're qualified for sure. So it's just, but I do have like 15 names or something. So yeah, sooner or course. later, we'll sooner or later, we'll make it happen. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. And, uh, you know, until then that'll be, that'll be a blast, but until then, uh, best of luck with the rest of the year of the rest of the podcasting stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this was, this was a pleasure and, and I really, I especially wish you good luck with the OTB return. I wish you most luck with, uh, the Sixers. I hope they figure it oh. out. Yeah. That's I where I need it. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, this, was, this was really a pleasure. I had so much fun recording this. And uh, and yeah, to my listeners, thanks again for listening. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, if you're coming from somewhere else, if maybe if you came from uh, from Twitter or something, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you stick around for the next episodes. I got a lot of great episodes planned over the next few months. So um, let's keep it rolling. Thanks so much for coming once again. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. Take it easy. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you, David.